Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am amazing. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. Halfway through the week. And uh, we have a returning guest tonight, don't we? We absolutely do. Our good friend Will Brown is with us. Will, welcome back to the show. It's been such a long time. Well, we we missed you. So, you know, we're trying to make up for lost time by having you back, back back-to-back shows here after after your previous long absence. But Will is a renowned expert on strategy. He is a futurist. He's a contributor to our book, uh, Visions for a World Transformed, and just an old, old, old friend of this program. When I say old, 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 I, I'm just saying that Stephen's not getting any younger is all I mean by that. I didn't mean it. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> About anyone else. Um, but great to have you back. And we thought it would be fun tonight to spin it slightly from our discussion. Uh, If you haven't listened to Tuesday's show yet, folks, go back and check the archive. We talked a little bit about how uh, Jeff Bezos is in a great position to really make huge things happen in the world, although he's already doing that. We've got some, Will has some even more ambitious ideas for for Jeff, should he choose to take them on. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence, robotics, the the whole suggestion that maybe the robots are stealing our jobs, that we're on the verge of some major AI transformation to the economy. We're going to look at all that, and Will, why don't we start it by winding it back to our discussion on Tuesday. How does does AI or robotics factor into the whole Jeff Bezos discussion? There's a fellow who uh, uh, blogs online by the pseudonymous title of Andrew Pundit, and it has been his profession for most of two decades now to go into a company's business, actually learn what one of their employees does, how the employee does it, plot that out on, on paper, literally, from that, write the software, and then to make that be a, uh, an automated job, and then from that, actually physically build the robot to do that job. I don't, I'm serious here, I don't think it's really physically possible for any other human to be any more uh, expert on this topic than Hogg is, and that's his online persona because he doesn't want his online activities. You know, that's it's amazing. Like Everybody needs, to, job. This is needs no to check out this, this guy's blog because what you're describing, I think most people don't even realize that role exists, right? That there's actually somebody right. in the world who does that. They go, they go in, they look at what people do for a living, and they go back and they turn that into software, right? That, I mean, that's... The people just automatically assume, oh, you put a yeah. robot in a car, it drives. Yeah. Right. Think back to when you first learned how to drive. Where did you first learn how to drive? What did you first learn how to drive? How accomplished were you? How capable were you? And under how many different... I mean, learning how to drive is a very long-term, very complex, 
extremely ordinary human activity. Right. And as we're reading in the news repeatedly in well, quite some time now, it's damn hard to do, to roboticize. Yep. Now, something like an assembly line job or a warehouse job where take this box out of that truck, move it to this location, put it on the stack, come back later, pick it up, put it with these other, put the whole thing in another trailer. Yeah, you can conceptualize that, but I used to do that for a living until recently, and it's not as straightforward as it seems. And that's just in a very regulated, very controlled environment, like a warehouse or a shipping depot. An assembly line? Yeah. This item moves here. Grab it. Put this on. Put this screw in. Hit the button. Yeah, not quite. You're going to put a panel on a, on a, on a, a component you just assembled. And the pre-punched screw hole is oh, half centimeter off, off center. You can't get screw in unless you, well, if you're a human, you just squeeze it a little bit, tilt the gun to the side, get the twice to start, and then straighten it up as the screws in. How do you program a robot to do that sometimes? Well, I think, you've, you know, machine learning definitely would, would enable uh, robots yeah. to respond contextually to situations like that, you don't think? I sure. Mean, What's too far, though? What's too far out of tolerance? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could do it, but what is it just cheaper to hire a human? <laughs> well, certainly it is oh. right now, yeah. Yeah, of but course. at some point, the dog makes the point very, you know, I mean, if you, read, if you read through all of those in order, I what I see like nine or ten links that he put up to explain basically why robotics aren't the immediate threat anybody thinks, you know, people seem to think they are, is because it's going to be a long time before robotics and AI generally programming gets to the point where a human still isn't cheaper. Now, well, I'd like to bring up an idea that here's, I think, like, I, I think Jeff Bezos. Uh, Will, Will, I was thinking the, the, the way, the way uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, automation happens is that, you know, a robot doesn't come along necessarily and take, you know, someone's job. What happens is, you know, my job might consist of, say, 14 activities, four of which are uh, easy, easy to automate, but the other 10 are difficult to automate and so are, it will not be, uh, at least not, at least can't be done cheaply and it would uh, be difficult to do. So let's say that my organization has five people that do what I do. Now they find that they can get along with three people because they automated those four or five things that were easy to automate. And, uh, and, those of us who remain are grateful to still have our jobs, but fewer we have uh, you know a, a smaller task set to do. But we uh, but we we do more of that of those those things that are harder to automate. But uh, two or three people were uh, were laid off. Um, That's an absolutely so legitimate it's, it's concern, not, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. But so. however, I, I'm getting the sense that you never really worked in an assembly line because. Every job in an assembly line involves some give from the person or the position before you and some take from the next position down the line. And that varies some. You tend to overlap with each other. That's hard to program. The other thing is, of the 14 things I do on my station, and four of which are you can automate easily, are you, are you seriously expecting me to try and 
pay attention to what I'm doing and dodges robot arm swinging swinging around that doesn't know I'm there. I guarantee you that uh, OSHA and if you have a union, your union rep are going to be jumping up and down screaming. I mean, it's just not as easy to do this and to get those fourteen, those four jobs automated and have a human work with it. You've got to completely redesign the line. We're talking money now. <laughs> but, but Will, I mean, you must acknowledge there are there are more or less fully automated assembly lines occurring in the world. Um, I mean, well, more or less is kind of deceptive. Yeah, it, the paint line and the assembly line at Ford, I guess you, you see pictures of that. But what you don't see is all the people that are working keep those robots on track and supplied and uh, maintained, and because they don't do any of that themselves. And that's interesting. And, so, so you take the humans off the line, and then you've got them right behind the line, right? You've got them right, uh, right uh, 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 above the line, as it were, kind of uh, ma- got, maintaining the machines that are on the line. That's, that's and for every two or three machines you've got on the line, you've got a, at least one software engineer and at least one hardware engineer that you don't have on an assembly line at all otherwise, except for the maintenance. And they're, they're going to be there, too. Interesting. Okay, so so we'll go with your we'll go with your suggestion that uh, for the time being, uh, automation yep. isn't gonna isn't gonna replace the, the the production of physical stuff. Now swing that back, um, circle the square here. I, how, how does this tie into Jeff Bezos and uh, coffee shops? Yeah, very exactly. simple. Okay, you don't want to build robots. You want to build automatons that are teleoperated, remotely operated, either from someone's home from a coffee shop, and they log in for three hours, and they're paid X Jeffies per hour to get on a screen and run a few simple controls and make this automaton do a task 1, 2, 3, 4 through 14. And basically, it's all pre-programmed, and you're there to kind of follow through with each step, and where necessary, input non-pre-programmed motions or actions or just necessarily shut down the line because, hey, this thing's broke. Got it. We now. can't now, make this. I, we got to keep it. Now you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, you I, I do. Absolutely. You teleoperate everything, and Jeff Bezos hires a billion people, educates them how to be teleoperators, and if they don't have a place at home, he gives them a place to go to, earn a few bucks every day. Um... See where I'm kind of going with this whole. Well, I do absolutely. I mean, one of the things we talk about, one of the scenarios we talk about, is where ultimately uh, 3D printers and fabrication technology finally, in the long run, become the way that uh, individual people take over sort of the management of the supply chain. But what you're suggesting is a complete, a completely different model for how people can be just like regular people suddenly take over the supply chain, right? Suddenly we're, you know, we're we're we we become actors within it. Because you've distributed that uh, that manufacturing infrastructure out into the out into the coffee shops, and we're out there in that world too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, what, what do you think, Stephen? This is just a, kind of another way of getting at the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. The entire supply chain, from uh, resource acquisition to resource shipment to resource manufacturing value-added purposes, to resource distribution to customers, to being customers ourselves, all of it through the coffee shops. 
Well, That's it's huge. I, you know what? I, I, I like the plan, and I like the fact that it involves AI, but what you're saying is the AI doesn't cut us out of the loop completely, right? Well, not yet. Ultimately, AI will, I believe, become a very reliable, what I classify as a weak AI, that is a very comprehensive uh, search and retrieval program that has a fairly comprehensive menu of decisions that it can take independently of, a, of an operator with a decision tree that leads to uh, interacting with an operator when and as necessary and having the infrastructure in place where there are 24-7-365 multiple operators available for a, a given AI unit to interact with and if a preponderance, a majority, uh, the totality of the of the uh, independent of the humans that it interacts with agree to an action. The decision is then taken and implemented by the AI. But that's a long way away yet. We're going to need a lot of people spending three, four hours a day, maybe three days a week, one week, four days a week, the next week, with half a dozen people doing basically the same job, and all of them have to agree for the action to occur. Otherwise, you've got a, a safety conflict of some kind. We shut down the assembly line, or we don't move the ship, or the car, or the orbital craft, or whatever it is. This is that, this is this is really interesting. This is a this is a plausible scenario for how you how you actually ultimately transition to people running the whole supply chain. People as individuals doing it, and you put the job, and and you put your union uh, hall. Right in the middle of it, right? And Jeff Bezos right in, right in the middle of the, uh, right in the, middle well, of the plan. I, I Jeff the Bezos idea. enables that concept in a much broader uh, circumstance, but at the same time, he modifies it to expand it beyond the historic model, which necessarily would have to happen. I mean, I've been a member union member, still am. I know the shortcomings as well as the, positive, the potential positives. Okay. Well, we've been tracking machine learning on the show fairly closely. We've done several shows yep. about it, and, and I talk about it in my day job work quite a bit. And the progress over the last, really the last five years has been phenomenal. Um, since, about, since about 2012, the field has really taken off, and we're seeing the potential for doing things with robotics that had not been done before. So part of this scenario comes down to an assumption that AI is going to get us so far, but, but no farther. And, and it, when you put it that way, that's always going to be true, right? Or it's going to be true till the singularity or something like that, right? That AI, AI will get us to a certain point, but it won't get us uh, everywhere that a, that, that a human can get you until, until you've got essentially human-level human level AI. So let's talk about what's happening in that field. Some, you know, this is, this is an opportunity maybe to deconstruct some of what we've heard about this. I liked the uh, Neander Pundit example. And folks, if you're looking for those links, I'm sharing those on worldtransform.com. If you're, if you're at Blog Talk Radio, just go over to worldtransform.com. The links are there. The show description that they provide at Blog Talk Radio isn't long enough for me to put all those links in. So that's, that's why you need to go over to the blog and, and look for them there. But um, I stopped you had the band to continue the Carson trend. What, what's that, Will? I'm sorry, I missed that. 
I stumped the band to continue the Johnny Carson thing. <laughs> there you go. You, you have stumped the band. Now, we talked about uh, a, a link you shared talking about um, the limits of AI, a, a search program that was modified in such a way that it's described by those who are marketing it as providing imagination. You, and you'd had a chance to look at that. What's your, what's your take on that? Do we, do we have imaginative machines yet? No. Because no one knows how imagination works. What is the electrochemical, neurological process that takes place in the human brain that results in cognitive imagination, which I define as recognizing or identifying a concept that is not intrinsic to the data you compile and draw that realization from? Right. Like you make an intuitive leap to someplace else, right? Right. How does that work? At some point, all we can say is, and then the magic happens. How do you build that? Right, right. You can't. So, no, AIs as super intelligences that will outthink us, no. Think faster than us? My phone thinks faster than all three of us together. <laughs> I mean, we're surviving that experience just fine. We're grateful for that experience. But AI, until we understand how we do a thing, it is a physical impossibility for us to consciously construct a chemical, electromechanical device that does something the same way. You well, but if you take, if you take a black box approach, right? If, if you say, well, okay, whatever the mechanism is within the human brain, because generally we say this for AI anyway, right? I, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the exact chemical and electrical and mechanical thing that makes me talk is, but I can imagine a talking robot that has a completely different infrastructure on a whole different substrate producing similar results, right? So potentially through some combination of um, artificial intelligence through uh, – uh, um, deep learning and some kind of random, <laughs> right, randomness, you might have a fairly good simulation of imagination, right? I mean, you'd That's get an point. end result. It's a simulation, though. Yeah. If, when your black box can provide the next stanza, stanza in the Canticle of Leibowitz, you see what I'm saying? You've got to, it's got to literally make something up that doesn't exist before to be actually demonstrating imagination. Right, and, and I don't know that do we're it. that far from we that, right? They, they, they definitely, we definitely got computer programs that are making stuff up, right? The, no, the point is, no, they don't. No, they don't. They are programmed to mix data input in ways that haven't been tried before, and sometimes those succeed. Those succeed. Sure, but but, but that's but, not imagination. That's taking. That's just very complex very high-order data retrieval. If you and, don't put the data in there first, it's got nothing to work. And, and, this, and this is where we come down to the uh, AI may soon replace even the most elite consultants. We were talking about this um, before, before the show started. And this would be a good example, I think. Well, you would say that consulting is a good example of you can't replace it with AI because uh, an AI does not have that creative spark that a real consultant has and wouldn't be able to come in and apply creative solutions in the way that, a, uh, that an actual consultant would. Well, I'm sorry. I human, don't want to make your argument for you. You make your argument No, no, no. A human could 
supply that, but where an AI would be extraordinarily valuable, and by this I mean you know, a well-developed and reliable weak uh, AI, a human wouldn't have to know everything about the topic. A human would have to know how to interact constructively with his AI, his weak AI, to direct particular data connections, and from that make the intuitive leap to something that doesn't, isn't in the memory banks, and then present, sell that to the customer. And an AI simply presents the data. It's got, it, it, Earl Scheib was a famous uh, car painter in Los Angeles when I was growing up. He painted any car, any color for 1995 originally. <laughs> sure, yeah, I can paint and, that car you know, for 1995. He can sell anything. He can sell anything. He, how many AIs are good salesmen? Because they, they, no. People are good salesmen, some of them. So that's what a consultant is. A consultant is a guy who says, I see what you're doing. Uh, have you tried this? Hey, 100 bucks and I'll tell you how to do it. Or pick a number. And uh, then he makes the customer like it. So he's a good salesman. This this piece on Harvard Business Review they t- they talk about some interesting some interesting directions that Alexa once again we're back to Amazon is is taking oh, in terms yeah in terms of oh. acting as as a consultant and uh, they, they give they give examples of the kinds of questions that as a consultant businesses are now asking Alexa. Um, and we were talking about this earlier. One of them, Alexa, what is my product line profitability? Well, that is truly just a, an expert system. That's, that, that is going to a computer system and getting the answer to a question when you ask something like that. But when the question is, uh, which customer should I target and how, you really do think of that as something that you would go to a consultant, right, and say, I don't know, you know help, help me put my marketing plan together. I don't know how to roll this thing out. And what they're saying is that Alexa is now at the point of synthesizing sufficient amounts of data around what businesses have done that, you know, the answers given are right in line with what you would get from, uh, from a typical consulting plan. So, I'm, Stephen, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, be the arbiter of this. Is there a difference, um, a, an important effective difference other than, you know, just our kind of pro-human um, I don't know, bias between a human that takes information and synthesizes it and makes an imaginative leap and a machine learning system that essentially does the same same thing through some very advanced statistical and uh, random number generating algorithm. I I think uh, a particularly good consultant uh, would tell you that uh, what they do is a combination of art and science. Okay, it's, it's sort of, a, you know, they, they have both the numbers and their gut, right? And, uh, and probably, you know, you know uh, it's, it's probably gotten to where we do more and more with the numbers and less and less by, you know, uh, instinct. Uh, but uh, I think uh, uh, the best consultants uh, have a little, you know, do a little of both. And you, and, and you, you can't really get that, that gut feeling from, uh, you know, from a computer. But here's the thing about computers. They give you 100% of what they are capable of doing all the time. Right. Um, humans, you know, have off days. Uh, they have days when they're just not as creative as they, uh, as they are, you know, all, and sometimes are or just not feeling it that day or whatever, Uh and, uh, and, you know, and, and computers can work 24-7. They don't expect, uh, uh, you know, any kind of uh, uh, 
employee uh, compensation plan of, this, or of the same sort. Uh, they're, ex- they're expensive in other ways, but uh, in the long term, they, they, they beat us to death on that, on that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that computer consultant could be, you know, uh, only 75% as effective as a human and still would be preferable for, uh, for other reasons. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it will, uh, tell me how I'm wrong there. Uh, that, uh, that, well, that, I think the, humans, uh, the real objection here, Stephen, is yeah, the computer's uh, always on and always doing your its best. But if its best is I don't know or tilt, you're just going to have to wait for that human to get over his bad day and give you that insight. <laughs> well, of course, get, the, the, other thing, the other thing the we do want to make, the, the other thing I do want to point out is a lot of times human consultants have creative ideas that are complete disasters, right? And we, we can't oh, yeah, because they don't have computers to point out, hey, uh, you skip this detail and you entirely <laughs> turn this formula around backwards. I mean, that, I, it's a melding of the two that makes the, at this point, ultimate possible outcome, even something we can conjecture about with some reliability. We haven't got anywhere close to that yet, technically or educationally or just people having the, the experience of interacting with computers in just this way. And the whole coffee shop thing expands, I don't know, well, what's bigger than exponentially? Uh, the <laughs> possibility for more people to gain that knowledge and experience in an effective or a a cost-effective way that they can afford now and continue to afford and expand their ability to afford in the future. So I think think something like this is kind of critical by somebody, and we're just picking on Jeff Bezos because he floated to the top of the pile recently. Yeah, he's 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 a guy who could uh, who could make it happen. By the way, I think the term is way exponentially. I believe that. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> the the, 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 te- the technical okay. <laughs> technical term. Real quickly, well, I want to touch on something related to this uh, whole automation thing. In Jennifer Dowden's book, The Cracking Creation, which if you haven't read it or haven't bought it, shame on you. Get to it. You need to. Okay. Uh, there is a very. I'm talking to the audience. Uh, there is a very brief section that describes some early research into how uh, human DNA, or any DNA, but human is what she works with mostly, um, or certain viruses, can be genetically edited to turn them, I'm not sure it's viruses, you'll have to go read the book for yourself, um, but turn them into mini factories producing things that uh, human bodies don't produce. Recent, uh, just this past weekend, uh, I think today actually, Instapunk that leaked to it, linked to it. Uh, someone has developed a way to genetically engineer viruses, microbes, something to manufacture hydrogen. How many oh, yeah. people want to go to their local coffee shop, cut a deal with Jeff Bezos' AI to fund their little home factory in their garage or their backyard shed or whatever? Uh, on a petri dish the size of a wading pool, with you're going to uh, build, feed, and support microbes or viruses or whatever that have been genetically edited to produce X stuff. You're going to buy through Amazon the packaging equipment. You're going to contract through Amazon with UPS, FedEx, whoever, to come pick this up and deliver it to a manufacturer who will build something with somebody else's manufacturing stuff. 
and you're Jeff Bezos' partner in this little home business when you're not online uh, flying a space object or running an assembly line or whatever. Well, that one is, you know, that one's really powerful because it could be anything, right? It could be a biofuel. Anything. It could be a treatment for a disease. It could be some kind of food product. Um, yep. Or to, to, how long to you just, make it? Yeah, just to go into the scary side for a minute, it could be a virus. It could be, you know, a chemical weapon. I mean, there's there's all kinds of uh, potential potential if scary things a, that that would have to be controlled for, right? Reader, you are familiar with the phrase "living in a John Ringo world." Right, right. If you're familiar with John Ringo's Black Tide Rising series, the zombies take over the world, uh, he uses the phrase in the, in the very first novel of uh, some kind of um, chemistry. And if you replace that phrase with gene editing, we're all actually living and have been for a few years now in a John Ringo world. We just haven't had the zombie outbreak yet. There you go. Well, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky described, uh, described Moore's Law for uh, mad scientists, which is that every uh, 18 months, the IQ required to destroy the world uh, is – what is it, Stephen? It goes down by one point. The IQ goes down by one point or something like that? <laughs> That's every, right. That's right. Every 18 months because of capabilities like this, right, being uh, – uh, be, becoming uh, be, becoming more and more widespread. So we won't end on, on that the upside, note, though. On the we upside, this yes. will give you a good note to end on, for every mad scientist, there are how many not mad scientists that we're making? Exactly. To Lots come up of... with a cure or a treatment or a counter and are in the business of selling that stuff. So they're, in, they're already, you know, they've got their own reasons for wanting to do this. I think we there's don't a lot have more help without yeah, this pope with something like this. Yeah, I think there's a lot more people out there who want to be Tony Stark than who want to be a Bond villain, right? That's, you bet. That's the, that's the bottom line. All right. Well, I feel like we just scratched the surface. Well, there's so much uh, so much fun stuff to talk about, and uh, it was it was great getting into the AI discussion because I found myself on the other side of the argument than I expected to be on. I expected to be the one who says, <laughs> "Oh, they'll never be able to do the imagination," and you kind of drew that out of me. So that's good work. That's why I argue a point. Yeah, good good work on uh, on your part there. Well, listen, uh, it's it's great having you with us. Let's plan on having you back again sometime soon. We we certainly won't wait as long, and good. we'll we'll explore these things further. Excellent. I'll try and put together a blog post to inspire you. That sounds that sounds great. All right. Well, hey hey, thank you, Stephen. Uh, fun talking with you as always. Thank you all for being with us. We're going to be back on Friday with a brand new show, including other geek, and we may look at this week in science. We haven't decided yet. We'll. Uh, You'll just have to tune in and find out. So until next time, live to see it. <laughs>